One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to Short Tales, a series of short stories written and read by me, Damien Robb. We'll get to this episode's story shortly, but first, I want you to imagine you're driving down a highway. It's night. The road is mostly empty, and the hangover you've been nursing for the past few hours has finally started to dissipate. The gentle buzz of your tyres somehow manages to be in tune with the music from the radio, and orange streetlights zip by, creating patterns on your windscreen, giving the night a warm, comfortable feeling. One that is lessened only by the dead body lying in your back seat. Okay, you ready? Good. This episode's story is entitled, Emily and the Problem of the Big Dead Body. Emily woke up groggy, which was an apt descriptor given the local vernacular for a stiff drink, plus the cause of her current hungover state. She'd thought it cute when she'd first hopped the 20-hour flight from England to Australia, and had used the word grog whenever the opportunity presented itself, but it had lost some of its cuteness after her first big night out. If a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, then alcohol poisoning by any other name still felt like a horse had kicked her in the head. She sat up, rubbed said head, and turned bleary eyes to her tiny and dishevelled studio apartment. She squinted against the throbbing in her eyes to make out the time on the analogue clock on the far wall of what amounted to the single room that made up her home, and saw it was just past four in the afternoon. She then turned her gaze down to the lifeless body beside her bed. Struth, she cried. Struth, unlike Grog, still retained a novel appeal to Emily. Not again. To be clear, this comment was not due to the state of her apartment or that she'd overslept, but was entirely due to the corpse currently residing on her bedroom floor, which was face down, one arm bent awkwardly underneath them. Emily winced as she tried to force her dry and foggy brain to remember anything from the night before, but all it could vomit forth was a smeary blur of bars and pubs and clubs. She tried again to see if there was anything in there about her coming home, but instead found a big section of blank that may as well have been a gif of someone shrugging. Emily rubbed at her face and saw flakes of dried blood drift down in small flutters like tiny autumn leaves. That was enough to make her give up. She lay down and went back to sleep. Forty-five minutes later, she woke up with a mouth that tasted like death's excrement, desperate for a glass or five of water, and with the resignation that she had a body to dispose of. She looked again at the body. He was, or had been, a tall man, broad and dressed in a white, gaudy tracksuit, the left leg of which was stained with blood. Freaking hell. Of course you had to be a bloody Goliath, didn't you? The man, face buried in the carpet, did not respond. Emily threw her legs out over the bed and stood. At least her legs were still working, she thought. No doubt thanks to the tall drink of blood beside her. She knelt next to the body and felt her head swim. 
Okay, I'm going to need to eat something before I attempt this, she commented to the still unresponsive body. She washed her face and guzzled down some water, drinking straight from the tap, the cool liquid tasting like whatever the opposite of death's excrement is. Coffee was next, and something greasy fried and full of carbs. She made a coffee and paired it with some scrambled eggs and hash browns. She looked at the body as she ate at a small linoleum table, wondering how in the hell she was going to get rid of him. The last body she'd brought home had been a waif of a thing, shriveled up thanks to a diet of heavy meth use, a bite-sized snack for the woman on the go. The woman had also fed both her children rat poison, which was how she'd come to Emily's attention. The children had survived, it should be noted, but the woman had gotten off lightly. The incident deemed as accidental due to her drug use, and was charged with undergoing counselling and rehab at the completion of which her children would be returned to her. To the woman that fed them rat poison. Instead, Emily had happened, and now the children lived with their auntie who resided on the other side of the country and wasn't in the habit of taking crystal meth and poisoning children. First step, Emily knew, was getting him to her car. Once she got him there, things were a little more simplified. Not easy. It's never an easy thing to dispose of a body, but definitely simplified. She made a second cup of coffee, and by the time she had finished it, night had fallen, and she had devised a plan. She wasn't confident it was a good plan, but given her persistent and throbbing hangover, it was about as good as one as she could conjure. Her apartment was on the third floor of a small complex at the base of which was an enclosed car park. Her car, an old 2005 Corolla she'd picked up for a mint not long after she'd first made her way to Melbourne, was parked somewhere roughly below her. Emily walked over to her bedroom window. It was large, which was necessary, but also an awning, meaning it was hinged at the top with a crank and chain at the base which opened it, the mechanism of which would get in the way. This was easily rectified with a screwdriver, the only problem being she didn't have one. That could wait. She first opened the window as far as it would go and peered down to the alleyway below. It was thin and cobbled with a fence on the far side taller than she was, the wall of her building making up the other side, the bottom level of which was the car park. The car park wall had a thin window running through it, but it was fairly high, and so Emily didn't think if anyone was in the car park they would be able to see much through it. No, the real problem was the two apartments below her and whether or not anyone was home to see the body fall past when she pushed it out the window. The last body, the woman whose pastimes included meth and rat poison, she'd managed to struggle out in a suitcase, easy as one, two, three. Her latest corpse was far too big for that, unless she was willing to bring out the bone saw, the thought of which was enough to make her hangover set off alarm bells again. Besides, it would leave a mess. He might be mostly free of blood, but that didn't mean the rest of his gooey bits wouldn't leak out of the suitcase as she was rolling it through the lobby. She considered her need for a screwdriver and the fear that her neighbours would see a reverse Superman fly by their window and decided one might help answer the other. As Emily lived in apartment 3D, or the third dimension as she liked to call it, a joke which had never gotten a response as good as she had hoped, she decided to go visiting those living in two dimensions to ask to borrow the tool in question. She left her apartment, being sure not to open her door too wide lest she display her new dead and bloodless friend, and walk towards the stairs. As she did, she realised she hadn't actually checked to see if he had any identification on him. Not that it mattered overly much who he was at this point, but she hoped he wasn't a good guy, or even a mediocre guy, unequivocally bad with the only kind she liked to show up dead on her bedroom floor. She approached apartment 2D and knocked on its door. There were other neighbours she could beg a screwdriver off, but the reason she knocked on this door was to gauge the state of the situation. She waited. It was a Saturday night, so there was every chance they weren't home. Or at least she hoped they weren't. Silence. She knocked again. Still nothing. Good. One down, one to go. She went back to the stairs and descended to the next level. She gave a tight-lipped smile at an unknown neighbour who passed her and walked towards the apartment of the single dimension. She knocked loudly. Too loudly. 
She needed some painkillers. Beyond that, it seemed her luck had held. No one was home in either apartment, which meant she could drop bodies out her window all night to her heart's content. She knocked again and turned an ear to the door just to make sure she couldn't hear any sounds from inside, then let out a scream as the door opened. A man dressed in a singlet adorned with some surf brand she was unfamiliar with and shorts that were too small for him stood in the doorway. He looked at her, his expression an open-mouthed sneer under thinning bleach-blonde hair. "'Who is it, babe?' a woman's voice called out from somewhere further inside the apartment. "'Some chick!' the man called back, his eyes never leaving Emily. "'What's she want?' the woman yelled. "'I don't know!' the man yelled back. "'What do you want?' the last bit was directed at Emily." Hi, I'm Emily. I live in the building. I was hoping to borrow a screwdriver if you have one. A Phillips head? The man's sneer merged into a grin that still somehow managed to retain its sneerness. He leaned an arm against the doorframe and raised an eyebrow. Ah, you want a screw, eh? His eyes drifted down. No, a screwdriver, Emily told him. It's kind of the opposite. What she want? The woman yelled again. Shut up! The man yelled back. Then to Emily. Yeah, I can help you out. You doing some renos. You probably need a hand, yeah? His own hand had drifted to the top of his singlet and had started rubbing at his chest. Why don't I come and give you that hand? Emily was about to tell him that she would rather have ruts run all over her body than have his hands anywhere near her when an idea bubbled up somewhere within her still foggy mind. She struck a pose she deemed seductive, one that included a hand on her hip and a head tilt that brought a small bout of nausea with it. If you've got the right tool for the job, I'd love a hand, she said, which only made the nausea worse. He smiled, sneered again, stepped forward and began to close the door behind him. The screwdriver? Emily reminded him. He paused, his sneer momentarily turning to one of confusion. I thought... He left the sentence hanging, having at least that much tact, then ruined it by making a gesture with his hands to indicate exactly what he thought they were going to do. Yes, Emily told him, but I do still need that screwdriver. He exhaled annoyance, then pushed the door back open and stepped inside. Emily watched through the open doorway behind him as he stepped into a side room. She quietly rushed forward down the small hallway, at the end of which she found a woman on a couch. Hi, she said to the woman. I'm Emily, one of your neighbours. I came by to borrow a screwdriver and your boyfriend took that as a request to sleep with him and was about to follow me back to my apartment to do just that. Thought you'd want to know. She turned away from the open-mouthed woman and went back down the hallway where she found the man, now in possession of a screwdriver, looking even more confused at finding her exiting from the bowels of his apartment. From behind her came a cry of, Brayden! In a tone that was unmistakably pissed off. Emily took the screwdriver from Brayden's hand and said, You'll probably need to deal with that. Then went out the door and headed for the stairs. Midway up the next level, she heard a door slam. Emily took a few steps back down to see the woman storming through the lobby, with Brayden following her. Babe, she's full of shit! I wasn't going to do nothing! I've heard that before! His girlfriend yelled without slowing her stride. I'm done! With a final cry of, Babe! They exited the apartment block all of which meant Emily was now free to drop a large dead body at her third-story window. She returned to her apartment knowing she had to work fast. Braden's screwdriver, unlike its owner, was sturdy, reliable and well-made, and so it didn't take long for Emily to remove the crank mechanism and wedge the window open. She turned to look at the body. Dragging seemed the best option here, and so she looked around for anything that might help with the task and spotted a potential ally in the form of a rarely used lime green yoga mat. She unfurled it, laying it down beside the man. "'Sorry,' she said to the yoga mat. "'I realise this isn't your intended purpose. "'How about to make it up for you, "'I start using you three times a week, or at least two, "'for real this time?' "'The yoga mat, much like the body "'when she had spoken to it earlier, did not respond, "'but Emily still felt like it approved of her new resolution. "'She moved around to the other side of the man "'and squatted next to him. 
Her head didn't swim this time, which was promising, the eggs, hash browns and coffee having worked their magic. She placed both hands against his side and half push, half lifted in an attempt to flip him over and onto the mat. Emily grunted as the body began to lift. It felt like trying to move a mattress, all loose and floppy and tag-teaming with gravity to make things as difficult as possible. Emily wasn't sure if bodies gained weight when they died or if it just seemed that way, but either way, for all their soft and squishy bits, they had mass. His head flopped forward as it came up off the floor and his arm dangled limply in front of Emily. But it was his feet that were the problem. They were tangling, the chunky white sneakers seeming to actively work against each other. Emily grunted again, which turned into a groan, then a strange shout of, Move, you bastard! as she pushed against him as hard as she could. The body reached its tipping point and fell backwards onto the yoga mat. Emily fell with it as the weight dropped from her hands, landing face to face on top of the man she'd killed. Oh, I remember you, she said to the blank and bloodless face. And she did, kind of. Somewhere within her mind, a neuron or two coughed up a fuzzy memory of the night before. She'd been on the dance floor, dancing like an absolute champion, when she'd spotted the now dead but back then still very much alive tracksuit man by the bar and had the sudden and immediate desire to kill him. Why that was, she didn't know, although she could feel a tickle of an earlier memory humming slightly inside her head, but still couldn't quite grasp it yet. What she could recall was taking one heavy step off the dance floor toward the man before it all turned to memory mush again. She pushed herself up off his chest and saw the blood-soaked leg of his tracksuit had been torn open at the front, revealing the pale white skin and dark hairs of his leg. Had she done that? Probably, she thought. Then, definitely, once she spotted the two ragged holes on the upper part of his blood-encrusted thigh. She moved around to the front of the yoga mat and took hold of it, thinking that the only time she seemed to work out was after she'd killed someone and wondering what exactly that said about her, she started pulling the mat and the man towards the window. It was hard going, but with a few more grunts, groans and insults directed towards the tracksuit man, she got there. Now the problem was getting him through it. She lined him up with the window, then tucked her hands under his head. His greasy black hair tickled at her fingers, giving her a rare moment of revulsion. She ignored it and began to lift, remembering to use her legs, not her back. Once she got the front half of him some way off the ground, she shifted her hands down to his wide shoulders. Just as she'd got him up to about chest height, he began to topple, tilting to one side like the large, unbalanced meat puppet he was. She pushed herself under the body in an attempt to stabilise him, which worked, but meant her face was now full of that greasy black hair. It tickled at her eyes and nostrils, and when she gasped, it clogged her mouth, making it hard to breathe. She spat it out, but more fell back in, causing her to gag. She turned her face away and knew she had to change tactics, and so in a balancing and shuffling act that, to be honest, she was quite impressed with, she managed to turn herself around so the weight of the guy now rested on her back. Things happened very quickly after that. She extended her legs to move him closer to the open window, which caused his weight to shift. As he fell away from her, he tilted to the left, causing the side of his chest to slam against the window frame. She heard a cracking noise that had to be ribs, and then he was through and falling. Emily rushed to the window just in time to see him hit the ground. He landed face first, which might have been a problem had he still been alive, but seeing as he was dead was more disgusting than anything else. Sorry, she whispered with a wince, more out of a sense of obligation than actual regret. Then, fuck, she hadn't planned this far ahead. Why hadn't she planned this far ahead? As she mentally gave herself the oft-repeated reprimand of, get your shit together, Emily, she turned to her apartment. Okay, what did she need? Car keys? Yes. Where were they? She didn't know. Fuck. No. Don't panic. Look for the keys. In the bowl by the door? Nope. Of course not. Only a reasonable person would put them in the one place designated for that exact purpose. Handbag? Yes. Now, where's the handbag? Fuck, fuck, fuck. Wait. She can see the strap by the bed. Yes. 
She knelt and pulled the handbag out from under the bed. She unzipped it and rummaged inside, relief flooding her as the jangle of metal met her fingers. Okay, good. There was still a body in the alley just waiting to be discovered, but she had her keys, which was a start. What else did she need? Phone, on the bedside table. She clicked it on, saw the battery was at 15%, swore again, and then dropped it into the handbag. Anything else? An invisibility cloak might be nice, but lacking that, she grabbed a regular coat, looked at the night sky, thought about it, and then grabbed her umbrella as well. Just in case. As she raged to the door, she had the thought that she really did need to put together a body disposing kit she could grab at a moment's notice. Next time. Right now, she needed to be moving, and move she did. Emily ran from her apartment down the three flights of stairs and through the door into the underground car park. Her dear Corolla sat waiting for her. She took out her keys and hurried to unlock the door, throwing her handbag and umbrella and then herself inside. She sat and felt something sharp poke her bum. Braden's screwdriver. He would have loved that. She took it from her back pocket and threw it into the glove box. She turned the car on, backed out of the park and wove toward the exit. Once out, she turned left onto her street, then stopped, checked to make sure the alley was empty of people beside the one she'd pushed out her window, then reversed her car toward him. It was a tight fit, and dark, making it hard to see, which was why she slightly misestimated the distance and ran over the now already mangled corpse. Oh, balls, she said as the car made the telltale thump as the rear end bounced first up, then down. She stopped, put the car into drive and went forward, the thump sounding again. She got out and approached the now twice run over corpse. His broken face looked up at her with a look of dead and bloody reproach. Sorry about that, she whispered. Shall we go? She nodded in response to her own question, grabbed him under the armpits and dragged him toward the car. She wished she'd thought to bring the yoga mat again, but decided it was probably for the best given the stains it would have caused. Her yoga mat deserved better than that. So did she, for that matter. Starting tomorrow, she was going to start sorting her shit out. Yoga twice a week, start eating better, and from now on, if she killed someone, she would remember how and why she'd done so, or at least stop killing them without first coming up with some sort of plan of how to dispose of their remains. Yes, she'd be a new, better her, and all of it would start tomorrow. She got the body around to the side of her car, then opened the rear door. With a grunt, she hoisted the top half of him into the back seat. He immediately flopped back out again. Oh, for fuck's sake, Emily panted. You just love making this difficult, don't you? She grabbed him under the armpits again and climbed into the car backwards, dragging him with her. She got the top half of him into the back seat, then hurriedly opened the opposite rear door behind her, climbed out, ran around the back of the car, picked up his feet and shoved them in with the rest of him. They threatened to tumble back out, but she slammed the door against them before they could. He was a bit squished, his ruined face was pressed into the upholstery, and his butt had risen into the air as she'd forced the legs in. But he was in, and that was the main thing. Oi! A voice cried out. It was Brandon of the single dimension. Oh, hello again, Emily said, jogging to the front of her car to stop him coming any closer. What? Don't say hello at me. My fucking girlfriend just broke up with me because of you. Well, I think she broke up with you because of you. I was just more the messenger. Shut up. What? His eyes turned to the car. She stepped to block his line of vision. What were you saying? I believe you were working your way up to threatening me. His eyes turned back to Emily. They squinted at her, angry and confused. What's your fucking problem anyway? You knock on my door, invite me for a screw, and then tell my girlfriend about it? I never actually wanted to screw, to be fair. You need to learn to stay out of other people's business. He stepped closer to her as he said it. His beady eyes stared down into hers as one of his hands curled itself into a fist. Emily stepped backwards, and Brayden followed. He held the fist out in front of him, putting it right in her face. 
She took another step back, and the corner of a now too-familiar sneer smile broke his face as he stepped forward to match her. Then his eyes shifted and widened as they caught on something. Is that guy dead? Emily grabbed his arm with both hands and bit down. Her two canines broke the skin and found an artery. Blood pooled in her mouth, washing across her teeth, over her tongue and down her throat. Brandon cried out and tried to pull his arm away, but Emily held firm, mouth attached to him like a leech. He calmed as the neurotoxin travelled up his bloodstream and found the lump of mush he called his brain. She pulled away and licked the inside of her mouth. I was trying not to do that, she told the blank-faced Brayden. He didn't respond. She didn't expect him to. Right then, Brayden, look into my eyes. His half-lidded eyes slowly moved to meet hers. Good. You're going to go back to your apartment, you're going to sit on your couch, and you're going to forget that you saw me or my car or anything that may or may not be in that car. Instead, you're going to think about how much you miss your girlfriend, how terrible a partner you've been to her, and how all the decisions you've made have led to you sitting alone in an empty apartment feeling hurt and lost. Brayden gave a slow nod, then turned to walk away. Oh, Emily called out after him. And you're going to think those holes in your arms come from... Shit, uh, falling on some nails or something. Brayden gave a lazy wave and continued to plod blank-faced back down the alleyway. It wasn't her best work, but it would do. She could still taste blood on the back of her tongue. She swallowed. It was coppery and warm, better than a cup of hot chocolate on a cold winter's night. Better than just about any beverage in any situation come to that. Or at least that's what the parasite would have her believe, thanks to its partial control over her dopamine levels. As though thinking about it drew its attention, she thought she could feel the bastard thing move within her, perhaps even hear a shadow of its thoughts inside her mind. Fuck off, she told it, and wiped her mouth with the back of her hand. Most of what you know about vampires is probably untrue, or at least misinformed. Yes, they bite people and drink their blood, but that's mostly it. They are not undead. They can and need to eat regular food and drink. They don't sleep in coffins or need soil from the homeland. They can't turn into bats or fail to have reflections. They are in fact just people who happen to be infected with a particular breed of parasitic worm. One that, once inside, grows like a weed until it all but takes over the entire circulatory system, up to and including the blood vessels in the brain. The infection does cause a slight elongation of the canines, just enough to stand out from the rest of the teeth and be good for puncturing skin, muscle and veins, but not enough to make a big deal of itself. A common misconception regarding evolution is that it is a force with some kind of sentience, one that is both intelligent and has an agenda, namely making all the creatures on this fine blue and green orb as ideal for their environment as they can be. This couldn't be further from the truth. Evolution has about as much of an agenda as a rock and is of equal intelligence to gravity, which means that some parasites, like many things that exist on this world, have a design that can only be described as stupid. This particular breed of vampiric parasite mostly feeds on blood, and quite a lot of it. If it doesn't get a regular top-up, then it begins to feed on its host, beginning with the fat and muscle. Initially, this is not so bad for the host, and arguably a great weight loss method. Great here referring to the effect and not the method itself, which is, it should be noted, fucking awful. It should also be noted that if you ever find yourself thinking that a vampire looks particularly gaunt and beautiful, just know it's because they have worms. If the host then does manage to find someone to feed on, then happy days, their body returns to normal and they can carry on making bad decisions. However, if not, the parasite will continue to eat away at their muscle, resulting in a condition not dissimilar to muscular dystrophy. The host will then lose the ability to walk or move their arms, which understandably only makes it harder for them to find their next blood-filled victim. This often then leads to the parasite eating away at the remaining tissue, eventually killing both the host and itself. 
As mentioned, some parasites are stupid. There is one other vampiric truth that is also true. Sunlight equals bad. Real bad. This is because a side effect to this infection is that it impairs the host skin, causing it to be about as good as turning away UV rays as tissue paper. Less, actually. This means any UV will basically hit straight organs, effectively roasting them inside the body. To be fair to the mythology, this does often result in combustion, although it's not a giant ball of fire as shown in the movies, but rather a merry little blaze, the kind of thing you might roast marshmallows on. Emily turned her thoughts away from the parasite and back to the car. It was well past time she got rid of this body. She checked her surroundings one last time and entered the car. She pulled out and made her way south, toward the city and the docks on the other side. While there were people on the streets, the traffic itself wasn't too bad, which meant she could zip along without anyone getting a good look into her back seat. She glanced in the rearview mirror. The tracksuit man's body had unfolded slightly, his head now facing her. She studied the fleshy mess she'd made of his face and thought that even if she hadn't pickled her memories, there'd be no recognising him now. One of his eyelids flickered as the car bounced, giving her a wink. She looked back to the road. Once through the CBD, she merged onto a three-lane highway, happy to be able to speed up. Music, she decided, was what she needed. Lacking an appropriate playlist for disposing of a body, she opted for the radio. She tried a couple of stations before landing on a golden oldies that was playing Rhythm of My Heart by Rod Stewart. Emily began to tap on the steering wheel, singing the few words she knew of the opening refrain and making up the parts in between, and by the time old Rod was telling us that the rhythm of his heart was beating like a drum, Emily was belting the song out at the top of her lungs, which was why she didn't notice the movement in the back seat until a hand reached out and took hold of the steering wheel. "'What the fuck did you do to me?' a wet and broken voice asked in her ear. It was his accent, recognisable even with a smashed mouth and pulpy nose that finally brought it back for Emily." where she'd seen the tracksuit man before. At the club, yes, but before that in a photo frame at the house of her last victim. After she'd abducted the mother of two who had fed her children rat poison, they'd had a little chat. It hadn't meant to be a confessional. Emily wasn't interested in that. She was no crusader meeting out justice. She wasn't some kind of good vampire. She was someone who required a diet of oxygen-rich blood and preferred to take it from people who had done bad things to make her own bad thing not seem quite so bad. But the woman had talked taking the opportunity to tell the whole story. And Emily had listened, mostly because she had wanted to wait and ensure the woman's system was clear of anything before feeding on her. She told Emily all about how it had been her boyfriend's idea to poison the children. Their lifestyle meant that parenting duties were becoming not only a hindrance, but costly. Money that could go elsewhere. So, he suggested she not be a parent anymore. That with the simple purchase of a box of rat poison, that whole little problem could be removed. Apparently, he had been very insistent. She had still committed the heinous act, of course, and so was about as far from innocent as a person could get, but she likely wouldn't have if she hadn't had his voice in her ear and his fingers pulling on her strings. The blanks from the night before filled themselves. She had been out, planning a normal night, not desperate to feed, except then bad guy walks in. Drunk her must have recognised him and decided to take the opportunity for what it was. So... Girl sees boy. Girl invites boy back home. Girl feeds on boy, draining him of all his blood. A tale as old as time. Except now the boy in question wasn't as dead as previously thought and had his hand on her steering wheel. Her own hands were beside his, tightly affixed to ten and two. She was strong, but she could feel the resistance of his grip, ready to spin it out of her hands if needed. What the fuck did you do to me? He asked again. Emily's foot released the pressure on the accelerator, letting the car slow but the highway still surrounded them. Nowhere to pull over. Nowhere to hide. She pressed her foot back down, eyes flicking between the road and the rearview mirror. 
His face was even more grotesque now that it was reanimated. The fall from her window and the subsequent running over had done little to improve what were already far from pleasant features. She swallowed before answering. I killed you, but it didn't take, apparently, so chances are good that you're now infected with a very stupid type of parasitic worm. What? He slurred through his smashed mouth. Yeah, that was pretty much my reaction when I first found out. Emily's thoughts drifted back to the night of her own horrific infection, half a world away. She pushed the memories back. She had enough to worry about without recalling that traumatic incident. You're lucky in a way, she continued. Despite not being dead, the odds of passing this worm on are actually astronomically low, even if the one doing the passing was attempting to do so, which I certainly wasn't. He didn't reply. Her eyes flicked to the review mirror again. He was probing his broken face with his free hand. He didn't know it, but at that moment the worm was growing and dividing and spreading throughout him, altering the systems and structures of his body. Emily figured it was fair to lose a level of concentration during such an experience. She took the opportunity to exit the freeway. His hand still gripped the steering wheel, but it moved with her movements, not resisting them. It needs very specific circumstances to pass on, she continued, her voice conversational and relaxed, despite the jackhammering in her chest. It has to be at night, first of all, something to do with the worm's reproductive cycle. But not just any night. The moon has to be at its most wane, or new moon, or whatever it's called, which apparently last night it was. More for me. Even then it gets difficult because I, the one who passed it on to you, need to drink around 70% of your blood. Don't know why that much exactly, but my best guess is to make way for the aforementioned worm growing inside you. But either way, I must have pulled it off because here you are holding my steering wheel and breathing creepily into my ear. Do you mind pulling back a bit, by the way? Morning breath is one thing, but yours is literally death. She was rambling. He barely seemed to notice. She worked against his grip on the steering wheel again to turn onto an empty street. Coastline on one side, dockyards on the other. I guess what I'm saying is that you should really buy a lottery ticket with that kind of luck. In the mirror, he was coming back to himself. As if all her words had finally caught up with him all at once, he asked, You killed me? Yeah, she told him. And now, it looks like I'll have to do it again. She spun the steering wheel sharply. His hand lost its grip and fell away as the car swung to the right to plough headfirst into a concrete pillar. A lot of things happened all at once. The front of the car crumpled like a crushed can as Emily rocked forward, getting strangled by the pressure of her seatbelt before being pillowed by the exploding airbag. Beside her, the tracksuit man, lacking the security of a seatbelt, went flying through the windshield and onto the road ahead of them. She pushed the airbag away from her, undid her seatbelt and opened the car door, falling out as it swung open. She stumbled forward like a foal taking its first steps, towards the body of her seemingly twice-murdered victim. Except he wasn't dead. That would be too easy. Fuck! He gurgled at her as he stood, which, given the circumstances, Emily thought was fair enough. He didn't add any additional words to the pejorative, either because the situation was so large that he had trouble choosing one, or because the impact of flying out of a car and hitting the road had caused some brain damage. He stepped toward her with a face full of menace, and as he did, his legs wobbled. Emily's own legs were none too steady themselves, but even still, she recognised that wobble. This newbie vampire needed some blood. He stumbled as his legs gave way beneath him, his arms barely catching him as he hit the ground. What the fuck? He slurred. Yeah, remember that stupid worm I told you were both infected with? Well, another aspect of its colossal stupidity is that if it doesn't get fresh blood every so often, then it starts to eat away at the muscle of the host. That's you, I'm afraid. And due to me having drunk most of yours, it looks like you're just about clean out. Sorry about that. He yelled out at her where he lay paralysed next to the car. She ignored him and knelt down next to her dear Corolla to whisper a thanks and a goodbye. She moved next to the glove box and took out Braden's screwdriver. 
She went to the back of the car and removed the number plate, then went to the front and found the other on the ground. She bent and picked it up. Next, she went through the car and cleared it of any final remains, including her thick UV-resistant umbrella, which she was now very proud of herself for having packed. Then she turned to the tracksuit man, who lay bleeding beside the broken vehicle, which looked to be likewise bleeding as petrol seeped from the back of the car. She took hold of the tracksuit man's legs and for the third time that night proceeded to drag him. Unlike the previous two times, this time she had a running commentary, made up of swears and warnings of retribution from a man who couldn't move either his arms or legs and so really had no call making threats he had no ability to follow through on. She dropped him into the pool of petrol and looked to the horizon. There was the briefest glimmer of light making its way above the flat line of the ocean beside them. That was both good and bad. You bitch! You fucking whole bitch! I'll kill you! I'll kill you and your whole family! Emily turned to the tracksuit man. You're too late for that, on both accounts, she told him. Now shut up while we wait for the sun to rise. She opened the umbrella above her and stepped back from the car to sit on a nearby rock and wait. The tracksuit man continued to swear and snarl at her, unaware of his impending doom. Finally, the sun broke free of the horizon, the road still blessedly clear of cars. The tracksuit man started laughing. Emily looked across to see he had found some small movement in his arm and hand. He was using it to drag himself forward. Given enough time, he might even be able to reach her. But time was not something he had. His laugh cut off as the first rays of light found him. Emily watched as his eyes turned quizzical, wondering at the sensation he was feeling. He looked down at his torso as best he could, trying to figure it out. Then his eyes went wide and he started to scream as his insides began to cook. Blood and spit flew from his mouth and his broken face turned red with the pain. Then the fire began. Small at first, just a little candle wick of flame running across his chest. Then it grew, spreading across his abdomen. By the time it found the petrol, Emily had retreated towards the dockyards. The petrol ignited and with it so too did her Corolla. His screams stopped shortly after and Emily walked away, leaving the car and the man ablaze. The umbrella was good at resisting the sun, but not great, as its circular protection was limited. She received a couple of small burns on her arms and ankles before making it to the pile of discarded shipping containers at the edge of the dockyards. She entered one and closed its rusted door behind her, then did her best to fall asleep. Surprisingly, or perhaps not, given everything that had happened, it turned out to be remarkably easy. Emily woke up groggy. She sat up, rubbed her head, and turned bleary eyes to the tiny interior of the shipping container. She carefully opened the door and saw it was dark outside. She exited and walked back towards the road, taking her umbrella, number plates and other bits of odds and ends with her. She saw the car and body had been removed while she slept. All that remained was a burnt patch of ground, a few shards of glass and a small smudge of what was probably blood. She walked to a major road and managed to flag down a taxi, who took her home. She planned to flop on the couch and spend the whole night eating takeaway and watching TV. Except Brayden was waiting for her. As soon as she entered the lobby, he came rushing out of his apartment towards her. Hey, you! I don't know what the fuck happened yesterday, but I know you've got something to do with it. His fingers absentmindedly rubbed at the bite mark on his arm. Emily didn't have the energy for this. She thought about the promise she'd made to herself to do better, to be better, to get her shit together. Fuck it. One more day wouldn't hurt. Hey, do you want to come up to my apartment? I could really use a drink. And bless him, he did. Thanks for listening to this month's short tale. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, to finish this episode off, I've recorded some afterthoughts, which detail where the idea for this story came from and any challenges I faced while writing it. If that feels too self-indulgent for your tastes, fair enough. But if that sounds like your kind of thing, then listen on. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This story was originally entitled The Good Vampire, which was only ever a working title anyway, but it proved to be way off base in a number of ways. The original idea for this story was exactly that, in that I wanted to write a vampire story where the vampire did their level best to be a quote-unquote good vampire. And that was the plan right up until I wrote the first line of the story. And then it all fell apart. Why did it all fall apart? Because of a joke. Or not even a joke, but just something I thought was kind of humorous. That this seemingly young woman, and I say seemingly because, you know, vampire, would be such a mess that a dead body showing up beside her bed wasn't a shock as much as a repeated annoyance. That for this vampire, it was part and parcel with having a regrettably big night on the town. Once that was in my head, the tone of the whole thing shifted. Now it was darkly comedic, and wasn't so much about a vampire trying to be good despite also being a monster, but rather someone who was a bit useless at life, who also happened to be a vampire, having to deal with the consequences of their bad decisions. In this case, disposing of a dead body. The reason for this change in tone was ultimately because it was more interesting to me. It allowed for more humour, gave it a greater voice, and made for a character who was flawed but hopefully likeable, and a stand-in for all of us who have made a vow to get our shit together while also knowing we probably won't. That rule of chasing the interesting was my ultimate takeaway from this story. It happened a number of times throughout the writing. I would think I knew what the next scene would be, but a more interesting idea would pop up as I was writing it, and so instead I would follow that and see where it led. At one point, after Emily had dropped the body from the window and was racing down to get it, I had a whole scene about her going down an elevator with a woman who was chatty and basically slowing her down. I did so in order to try and raise the stakes and make her freak out that someone was going to find the body before she could get there. Except it was missing something. It slowed Emily down, yes, but it also slowed the story down right when it should have been picking up pace. So what was more interesting? Someone finding her with the body. Now that was raising the stakes, especially if it led to her having to bite them, which also allowed me to confirm what I'm sure many of you had already picked up on, vampire. Where on that, originally she was more of a classical vampire, one Bram Stoker would recognise. But that too proved less interesting than playing with the mythology, taking away the myth and instead giving it some grounding in the form of a parasite. I'm not the first person to do that, I'm sure, but again, it made it more interesting for me, the writer, and so hopefully made it more interesting for the readers as well. I think outlining is a great thing. It can help get thoughts on the page, which makes room for new ones, and it can ensure the story has shape and purpose. But it's always a good idea to allow some randomness in, to keep an eye on your thoughts for something strange or interesting, and then chase it down. Alright, those are all my thoughts. But if you have any that you'd like to share, please do. You can write to me at shorttales.podcast at gmail.com 
or you can find me on Twitter at Midday Pajamas. And while this podcast will always be free, if you'd like to throw a few dollars, euros, rands, pounds, francs, yen, or any other currency at me to allow me to keep writing and releasing short tales and hopefully put out a few bigger projects down the line as well, you can do so by visiting my Ko-Fi page, which you can find at co-fi.com forward slash Damien Robb, or you can find the link in the episode show notes. Until next time, this has been Short Tales, and I've been Damien Robb. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.